You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Good morning, Rev Church. So good to look out and see so many smiling faces this morning. I'm Jeff. In case we haven't met, I'm the men's director here at Revolution Church. We're going to get into the scripture. We're going to pick up right where Pastor Brandon left off last week. But before we do that, I have a question for you all by show of hands. How many of you, how many of you in the room today are the exact same height and weight? I see the fear on your face. It's going to be okay. Are the exact same height and weight as the day you were born? And I'm looking because if that person's in here, I might not see their tiny little hand. I don't see anybody. Do you know why we're not the exact same height and weight we were the day we were born? What happened? We grew, right? We grew up. Every living thing on the face of the planet grows at some point. And we grow. I don't know about you, we have this suitcase up in our closet way back in the dark corner of a closet in our home, and it is jam-packed full of old photographs. And every once in a while, we'll get it out and we'll reminisce, oh, there's so-and-so as a baby. Or you go to your grandma's house or your parents' house, and they pull out this big, dusty box of photos, and they pull out a photo and say, oh, this is your great-great-grandfather as a baby. Isn't he cute? And it's like, grandma, first of all, it looks like he's wearing a dress, and secondly, he kind of looks like E.T., but um, it, it's fun to reminisce, and in preparation for this sermon today, I had to do some research, and I had, had to actually cross state lines to find what I was looking for, but I found it, and I was so excited when I found it, I wanted to share it with you. I found the first, not one of the first, but the very first photograph of Pastor Brandon. Does anybody want to see it? All right, let's put it up there. There he is. He's so cute, he doesn't look at all like E.T. And this was one of those ultrasounds where it records the heartbeat. You know that sound? It sounds like somebody's stomping on wet towels in a tin in a galvanized tub. You know that <laughs> sound? You know what I'm talking about, right? They were able to separate that from the guitar music, and they found out that he was actually playing Rocky Top. Amazing. <laughs> And I don't blame him. That team that he roots for, the, the Georgia Gators or Bullfrogs or whatever they are, they don't have a team song. So naturally, he would pick ours. And um, I told him at staff, did I not? I told you at staff that jab he took at the volunteers last week would not go unpunished. So there you go. But when you're born, they do these stats on you. They measure how long you are. They measure how much you weigh. When I was born, I was eight pounds, nine ounces. I don't think that's super huge for a baby. Um, but understand, my mom was five feet tall. And when I was born, I was 24 inches long. And if you're doing the math in your head right now, I was six inches short of being half as tall as my mom when I was born, okay? But they do these stats. And um, everybody gets them taken. Everybody knows how much they weighed. Um, but... Uh, in my lifetime, I've had different people tell me to grow up. And it's not usually a good situation. It's usually when I'm doing something stupid and they say, hey, would you just grow up? Okay, but I had a teacher that used to say, act your, your age and not your shoe size. She would say that all the time in school. And I'm excited about today's passage of scripture that we're gonna look at because we get to see a glimpse into Paul's or Saul's life as he grows up. 
not physically, but as he grows spiritually. And the processes it took for, for Saul, I keep wanting to say Paul because Paul is Saul's Greek name, uh, but Saul, how he grows up spiritually. And in the church, we use this term called sanctification. It's a huge, long word, sanctification. And here's the definition of sanctification. The state or process, remember that word process, of being set apart, the process of being freed from sin. So we're going to look at Saul as he goes through the sanctification process of being set apart, of being freed from sin. And I'm going to read the entirety of our scripture text this morning, then we're going to go back into it and uh, dig in a little deeper. Uh, I am going to take a drink before I do this, because unlike Pastor Brandon, I cannot do this in one breath. <sighs> Love you, buddy. All right, here we go. Acts 9, verse 20, picking up right where Pastor Brandon left off last week. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they ask? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. So if you took Acts chapter 9 and started in verse 1 and read through where we just read to, verse 31... The 30,000-foot view of that would appear that Saul had this Damascus Road experience where he was blinded, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, led by his hand into Damascus. A man named Ananias came and prayed for him. His sight was restored. He immediately got up and got baptized and then started preaching. In verse 20, it says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. A few days. Most of the commentaries that I've read and most theologians agree that those few days were three days, three days that he stayed with the believers in Damascus. Have you ever had an overnight house guest stay in your house? Show of hands, anybody ever had somebody come and stay? Uh, what is the allotted time that somebody can stay in your house before they overstay their welcome? It, it, I, I guess I've heard one day, I've heard three days. I guess it depends on who it is. Had people come and stay at their house. I'll go to the front door, welcome them in. They can stay for a week. Everything's fine. 
Other people, I'll go to the front door, welcome them in, welcome to our house, walk straight to the back door, open the back door, have a great day. That was plenty. That was plenty of time for their stay. But it really depends on who it is. But I don't know if it's my age or what, but I really, really value my privacy in my own home. It's so nice to go home to a house that's peaceful and you're not having to entertain somebody or your dogs don't want to kill the person that's staying in your house. Um, It's privacy is important to me. But he stayed with these believers for three days. And um, the Bible, I want to explain to you that the Bible always verifies itself if you dig in and study what the Bible's saying, because some things can seem confusing, confusing to us if you just read them on the surface. But if you dig in, the Bible verifies and also clarifies itself. And in this scripture where it says he stayed with the believers for a few days, days, in between days, and the next word that says immediately, there is something that we need to clarify. Because Acts was written by Luke, And then Galatians, which is a book that Saul wrote, he clarifies what happens in between days and immediately. So let's go to Galatians 1, verse 15 through 17. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened... When what happened? When God revealed himself to Saul on the road to Damascus, he was blinded and received his sight. He was baptized. When all of that happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Most theologians agree that when Saul went out into Arabia, he was there for about three years. And when we're talking about Arabia, we're not talking about the Saudi Arabia that's on global maps today. This Arabia was the wilderness area around Damascus. There was nothing there. There was no big cities. It was the wilderness. And Saul was out there. And this, this wilderness was so bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I was supposed to set that up. When I say this wilderness was so bad, you're supposed to say, how bad was it? Okay, let's try it. This wilderness was so bad, it was so bad that there wasn't even a dollar general. I apologize, but it's been weeks since you've had a dad joke, okay? And I could see it. I could see it on your faces. Please, please tell us a dad joke. So I just had to throw that. Anybody want to hear another one? Oh, I heard that. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. I'll pay you after the service. Um, my wife, Annette, she's sitting right over here, wave, Annette. Uh, that's my wife, my much better half. Uh, she told me just last week, she said, listen, you have got to stop imitating a flamingo. I had to put my foot down. There it is. There it is. If you all in the front row here didn't get that, ask somebody after the service, Okay. But hopefully that'll hold you over until pastor's back up here next week with his dad jokes, okay? You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Whew, squirrel moment. Uh, Saul was out in the wilderness, okay? And it struck me as I was preparing for this message that uh, Jesus went out into the wilderness to spend, spend time with his father. And when Jesus came back, he started calling his disciples, And he called his disciples, and the time from when he called his disciples to when he was crucified, 
he poured himself into them for three years. Three years he poured everything he had into them so when he was gone, they could carry on. Saul goes out in the wilderness to spend time with Jesus, and he's there for about three years. And Jesus pours himself into Saul so that when he comes back and starts his ministry, he is ready for what's coming. So I tell you, folks, we, the wilderness, it sounds like a bad thing, but we can't despise the wilderness. The wilderness is a good thing. There are so many people in the Bible that went through wilderness experiences. One of them was Abraham. He was promised at age 75 that he would be the father of many nations, that his offspring would be as the grains of sand in the sea at age 75. And finally, at age 100, that promise came true. He had a son by his wife, Sarah, named Isaac at 100 years old. Myself, I was thinking about this. When I'm 100 years old, I'll be lucky to change my own diapers, much less a newborn. But this is, this is where Abraham's at. He waited 25 years, and it seemed like a wilderness to him. Moses, he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter in the palace of Pharaoh, had everything he could possibly need or want. He kills an Egyptian and has to flee into Midian. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, and God calls him back to Egypt to set the people of Israel free from the bondage of Egypt. 40 years. David, when he was between 10 and 15 years old, Samuel anointed him as the next king of Israel. And he spent the years between when he was 10 to 15 years old to when he was 30 and actually appointed as king, running for his life from King Saul who wanted to kill him because he was so jealous of David. And David's in this wilderness for upwards of 20, 15 to 20 years waiting for the promise of God to come true. And our very, own, our very own Savior, Jesus, he was in the wilderness for 40 days without food or water, spending time with his father. So we can't be afraid of the wilderness experience for us. We all have to go through wilderness experiences. And everyone's wilderness experience is going to be different. God is not a cookie-cutter God and says, this is the way it is for everybody. Your wilderness experience will be different from mine. And I'm going to share mine with you later on in the message. Everybody with me? All right. Verse 16 says, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. And I see this trend today when people are going through things and hard times hit. They are more than happy to rush to the book of faces or Instagram, or as Pastor Josh says, tickety-tock. And they put everything out there on social media. And it makes me very concerned when I see people, it'll have their name, and it'll say, so-and-so is feeling frustrated, or so-and-so is feeling heartbroken, or angry, or irritated, or annoyed, or stressed, with nothing else in the post. That's all it says. It's almost like they have this fishing pole and they hook an emotion to it and they throw it out there, hoping that somebody will say, oh, what's going on? And then the next thing you know, it opens up this whole dialogue of all these, I can only do air quotes with one hand, all these friends telling them how to overcome this emotion that they're feeling and how to, how to be uh, set free from that. I got to be real with you all this morning. Maybe. Just maybe it's time to take those emotions that we're feeling 
and go to the creator instead of the created. Amen? Maybe, just maybe, it's time to take our emotions and dig into the Bible, the book, instead of going to Facebook. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to take our emotions and start taking steps to becoming a victor instead of the victim. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to take our emotions and press into the friend that sticks closer than a brother then throw our emotions out there to friends that can unfriend you with just a click of a button. Maybe. Maybe it's time to take our emotions and start growing because of them. Amen? I'll get off my soapbox. But I want to go back to Galatians 1 and back up just a few verses of what we just read. Uh, Galatians 1.11 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed himself to Saul in the wilderness. And Jesus hasn't stopped revealing himself to his people. That didn't end when the Bible was done being written. He still wants to reveal himself to us. And he can do that through prayer. He can do that through reading his word. I know when I'm reading God's word and something comes into me that I know is way smarter than my ability to think, I know that was God revealing himself to me through his word. And he still wants to do that. Saul could have stayed in Damascus. He had a good thing going on. He was popular. People knew him. And now he's preaching about Jesus. He could have read a bunch of books on evangelism, how to evangelize the Jews. He could have watched a lot of preachers on Apostle TV and found out how to be an effective preacher. He could have YouTubed how to tell Jews about Jesus without getting killed, but he didn't. He went out into the wilderness and had an encounter with Jesus Christ himself, and Jesus revealed himself to Saul. And then later on in verse 20, The B part of verse 20, it says, when he returned to Damascus, he immediately begins preaching about Jesus. And people are amazed. Isn't this the same guy that wanted to kill us? Now he he wants to be with us. And the Jews want to kill him. And when they found out about the plot, fellow believers lowered him down in a basket through a hole in the wall. And most historians believe that these baskets were huge enough to hold a human, but they were used normally for garbage to put garbage in and put it over the city wall and dump it so that the garbage could be moved away from the city. So here's Saul leaving Damascus basically in a garbage can, but he wouldn't have been able to escape without the fellow believers. One of our core value statements here at Rev Church is you can't do life alone. Truth of it is you can try to do life alone, but it's best not to. It's best to do life with other people. That's why here at Revolution Church, we have something in place from the time you take your very first breath here on earth till the time you take your very last breath here on earth. Our kids director, Jackie, and her her people that are under her, Bethany and Ava, they work for months to create an experience for your kids when they come to Revolution Church. And it's not all just about entertaining your kids. They want your kids to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to know who they are in Jesus, and to know Jesus personally. And I don't know about you, but that makes me excited because if there's kids that are coming to this church that don't have to go through the crap that I went through in my life because I wasn't grounded in Jesus, I think that's a good thing. 
and they're having a thing today called Chosen Kids. And they'll be here until 6 o'clock tonight pouring themselves into these kids. And after third service, the kids of Revolution Church will be in this very room worshiping Jesus Christ, their Savior, and learning what it is to know him personally. That's a great thing. And when they leave Rev Kids from fifth grade to sixth grade, they go to Rev Students. Our students director, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, he pours himself into those kids and his team. They create an atmosphere where over 100 kids come on any given Wednesday night to meet in this room and worship Jesus. And I know he might seem like Clark Kent when he's out walking around in the lobby on Sunday morning. But when he steps on this platform on Wednesday night, it is cape on, full-blown Superman mode, pouring into these kids. He does an amazing job. And then Pastor Brandon recently, God put it on his heart for the people that were between 18 years old and 25 years old. It's called RYA, Rev Young Adults. And Pastor uh, Donovan stepped out of his comfort zone and launched RYA. And him and his team, when you're between those ages here in Crossville, Either you graduate from high school and go away and go off to college, or you just kind of melt into the fabric of the culture here in Crossville. And he saw the need to have something for people that are in that age group. And on any given Monday night, there's between 40 and 50 people in that age group that are meeting in this room and learning how to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is an amazing thing. After they leave that, they go to Rev Ladies or Rev Men, and uh, my wife, Annette, is the director over Rev Ladies. Her and her team turned this room yesterday into a 50s diner. Ladies showed up in their 50s, uh, their poodle skirts, um, all their Oxford shoes and stuff, and they had a great time. We could hear them while we were doing Rev Men next door. Uh, anybody here that was at that meeting yesterday morning? It looked like a great time. Y'all were having fun. Uh, and uh, they have the secret sauce to what reaches ladies here at Rev Church. Uh, personally, I'm kind of biased towards Rev Men. Uh, I love my brothers, and we have a great time growing together, developing relationships, so we don't have to walk through life alone. And we're learning about Jesus, and we're having fun. One thing about guys, they love to compete. You could do a, toy, a coin toss competition, there would be guys lined up to do it because they love to compete. But uh, uh, we do. We have something for everybody from birth to death here at Revolution Church because we know the importance of having fellow believers around you. And Saul found that out. He needed the believers. He couldn't have lowered himself down through that hole in the wall by himself. He would have probably fell to his death. He had to rely on fellow believers. So do we. Don't try to do it alone. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We need each other. So Saul leaves Damascus in a basket in a garbage can, and he heads to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem, and the believers don't trust him. I thought it was ironic that the believers didn't believe that Saul was a believer. But um, he was in Jerusalem, and he gets into debate with these Hellenistic Jews. If you remember, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Josh was talking about Stephen, and he, he gave this great oration of how the Old Testament proved who Jesus was. And these Hellenistic Jews got so mad at Stephen that they gnashed their teeth at him. I still haven't found out what that means. But they, went, they killed him. They took him out and they stoned him. And when they were stoning him, these Hellenistic Jews laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man that was standing there that was approving of what they were doing. That man was Saul. So the very same people, quite possibly, were the ones that were so mad at Saul now that they wanted to kill him. 
but the fellow believers helped him escape. It says in verse 30, when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. And I wanted to point out something about Saul. And it's important for everybody that's going to be a leader in the kingdom of God. You have to have this quality before God will use you, I promise. You have to have humility. Without humility, you will never be the leader that God wants you to be. And Saul has this humility. He submitted to the authority of the believers there in Jerusalem because they sent him away on a boat. Saul could have chosen not to get on that boat. He could have said, you know what? I got a pretty, pretty good gig going on here in Jerusalem. I think I'm just going to stay. And possibly in his mind, he was thinking, you know what? When Stephen got stoned, the church was scattered, but it grew in strength. And if that's what God wants me to do with my life, I'll, I'll gladly sacrifice my life for the same purpose. But here's, here's the thing. It was God's plan for Stephen to be martyred because the church was strengthened and scattered and started to spread. But it was also God's plan to keep Saul alive. And he submitted to that authority and got on that boat. At this point, Saul had not even written any of the books in the Bible. And consider what would have happened if Saul would have been prideful and said, I'm not leaving, and he would have got killed. I have a slide here for you that shows all the books of the New Testament. That's all of them. The next slide shows a list without the books that Saul wrote. Again, the, the whole list. Next slide, please. And then a list with only the books that Saul wrote. All right, look at these books, folks. Romans, the Romans road, the whole pathway to salvation. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It wouldn't be there had Paul been prideful and not gotten on that boat. If you can put the list back up again. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably all heard this chapter at a wedding. It's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, love never fails. Would not have been there had Saul been prideful and not gotten on that boat. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 4, 6, one of my life verses that I lean on so heavily. Take your worries. First of all, don't worry about anything, but take your worries and turn them into prayers. And before you know it, God will come in and settle you down. And the peace that he can only bring will guard your heart and your mind, our heart, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts. I lean on that verse so heavily. But look at the books that would not have been there had Saul been prideful and said, I'm not getting on that boat. But he did. He got on that boat. And Saul goes back to his hometown of Tarsus for what most uh, commentaries believe was between four and 10 years, most people lean heavily towards the 10-year mark. And he probably felt like he was in the wilderness again. He's like, God, what's going on? Why am I back in my hometown? And it was more years of growing and preparation. It was Saul's second wilderness experience where God's preparing him for where he's going. We cannot despise the wilderness. Hometown's hard. Hometown's really hard because the people that know you best are in your hometown, your family, your friends. There's old habits there, old friends there. That's why it's so hard for somebody that's trying to kick a substance abuse problem 
to go to recovery and come back to hometown because all the same people are there. All the same hangouts are there. All the same habits are there. All the same temptations are there. Hometown really is hard. But that's where Saul finds himself back in his hometown. And when he left, he was like the Jew of Jews, zealous for Judaism. And he comes back, and now people are probably wondering, who is this guy back here in Tarsus? And basically, that's all that chapter 9 tells us about Saul. We pick him up again in chapter 13 in Acts, which is a few weeks down the road. But uh, spoiler alert, I want to tell you what Paul faces, and this is what God's preparing him for, and this is why he's going through this wilderness experiences. That's why we can't look at wilderness experiences and say, what did I do wrong? No, a wilderness experience in our life is, okay, God, what, what, am, what are you preparing me for? Because God is always preparing us for where we're going, not where we're at. So the spoiler alert is this is what Paul says and what he goes through. He goes on numerous missionary trips. It's estimated that he traveled about 10,000 miles via boat or by foot during these missionary trips. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he gives us a list of the things that have happened to him so far in his ministry. He's been beaten five times to the point of death, 39 stripes. They could not beat you 40 times. They had to declare you dead and could never punish you again. Five times he was beaten to the point of death. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. One time would be enough for me. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night floating in the sea. He was robbed and beaten. He often went without food. And it was rare that he even had enough clothing to keep him warm. And I got to tell you, I got to be real with you again. This comfortable Christianity way of thinking has to stop. We get this idea that if I'm not comfortable, something must be wrong. This isn't about our comfort. This is not about our comfort. Don't get me wrong. When you come to Revolution Church on Sunday morning, we want to create an atmosphere in this room that's comfortable for everybody to hear the gospel. But the Christian lifestyle is not about being comfortable. We've actually had people that have left this church because when we moved from the theater to this room, we no longer had cup holders in the seats. They left the church. I mean, that really is sad. It's sad because this isn't about our comfort. What it is about is lost people that are so far from God that they're dying and going to hell unless we tell them about Jesus Christ. And in that telling, sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone and let God use us. We need to be willing to be uncomfortable for him. Just last week, I know of two people that walked through those doors and their life was bound for hell. And before they left service that morning, last Sunday morning, they experienced salvation and they left through those doors headed for an eternity with God and in heaven. And that's what it's all about, people finding Jesus Christ. Amen? So God was preparing Saul for what was coming next through his wilderness experience. I have to ask you, what's God preparing you for? What's God preparing you for? Where are you headed? What does God want to prepare you for? If you can grab the lights for me, please. I told you earlier that I was going to share my wilderness experience with you. 
My first wilderness experience was after 25 years of marriage. I was moving into a one-bedroom apartment by myself. And I'll take my responsibility on the reason that that marriage failed. It wasn't one-sided. A lot of it was my shortcomings. And here's what I had when I left and moved in that apartment. I had my clothes. I had an inflatable camping bed. I had a folding camping chair. I had an empty milk crate, a five-inch black and white TV that got no channels. I had my Bible and a notebook. And at the time, I was working nights driving semis for UPS, so I had to sleep during the day. And I'd be asleep, and I'd hear a noise, and I'd forget where I was, and I would wake up thinking it was the kids in the house making noise, only to wake up and find out that there I was alone. And I, I took the Bible and my notebook, and I started reading through the book of Psalms and Proverbs, and I started writing down every promise of God that was in Psalms and Proverbs, and I wrote them down in that notebook. And when I was done, I had 30 pages of promises from God, and I felt like I was closer to God. I felt like I understood God more, and I felt like maybe God understood me more. But the problem was I didn't address the real issue that needed to be addressed in my life. And so later, in 2013, I was faced on July 17th with a choice of either dealing with that thing that I didn't deal with in the wilderness before or losing everything. And on that date, I finally said to Jesus, it's all yours. I surrender everything to you, Jesus. And even though I was living in the house with Annette, I felt like I was in the wilderness. But it wasn't a bad thing. The wilderness was not a bad thing. I felt empty, but that was not a bad thing because I needed to be filled back up with him and not me. I felt alone, but that was not a bad thing either. I needed my total reliance in my life to be on him and not a person to fill that emptiness inside of me. The wilderness was not a bad thing, but I had hurt the person that I'd promised to protect, and coming out of that wilderness was not an overnight process. It wasn't poof, everything's better. It was hard work coming out of that. But it was a lot of time alone with Jesus reading his word and filling myself up with his word and praying and surrounding myself with people that I knew loved me and would walk with me on this journey. And here's the deal. When we put our faith in Jesus and become Jesus followers, the sanctification process begins. This process started for Saul when he went into the wilderness, and it starts in us when we surrender everything to Jesus. We, be, we start being set apart. We start being freed from the sin that entangled us. See, Christianity isn't something that when you get saved, you just fit Christianity as another item into your current lifestyle. Christianity becomes your lifestyle. And you have to figure out what fits into this lifestyle, the new me, what fits in there. And just like Saul, the wilderness experience will separate you from what you used to be so, so that you can become what God wants you to be. There will be things in your life that just don't fit anymore. Habits, hobbies, addictions, relationships, etc. If you try to hold on to the old I promise you, you'll never experience the fullness of the new. Here's the bottom line. We have to grow up spiritually. 
We can't remain spiritual infants. When Jesus Christ saves our life, we need to be nourished and fed through his word and through people around us that can feed into us so that we will grow spiritually. And the wilderness experience is part of that growth process. Don't despise the wilderness. We need to go there. It took two trips for me to finally take everything that I was into the wilderness and leave it there and come out the person God wanted me to be. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We have a brand new life. We can't drag that old life into it. And I challenge you this week, have a conversation with God and say, God, is there anything that I used to be that is still a part of me that I need to take a trip into the wilderness and leave it there? Get some alone time with your Savior, with your God, with the person that loves you more than anybody else on the face of this earth. Get some alone time with him and take those old things and leave them there in the wilderness. He loves you. He wants his best for you. Do you want his best for you? Become that new person. And you may be here this morning, this is all new to you, a savior. What, what is all this about? Basically, we have somebody that paid a debt we couldn't pay, paid for our sin, so that we can live eternally with him. And it's not a big emotional altar call experience. It's a conversation between you and your creator. And I challenge you this week, have that conversation with him. Even in the still of the night when you're laying down to go to sleep, say, God, is there anything in me that I need to let go of that used to be me so that you can use me for what you want to use me for? I'm going to pray, but after I pray, we have a, a short uh, special announcement video from our pastor, so hang tight after the prayer. But honestly, folks, this is all about people coming to know him and having their eternity secured in Jesus Christ. So let's make that trip into wilderness if we need to. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Lord, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word that is true, and your word is written so that every part of it can help us and build us up to be the people that you want us to be, Father God. I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning. Lord, the Holy Spirit's already urging people in their hearts of things that they need to take care of with you. Lord, help them in that experience going into the wilderness so that they can leave that thing there and become the person that you want them to be and need them to be. Father, watch over us, protect us. Lord, let us be the people that you need. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes. 